Hey, good morning. Uh, my name is Ray Stewart. I wanna, I'm the Connections Pastor here at Mount Calvary. I want to extend my welcome to you if you're our guest today. Uh, thanks for worshiping with us. Um, Pastor Jonathan is away with the middle school students. As BJ said, uh, we have about, uh, between leaders and, and students, we have about 30 uh, that are gone this morning for the middle school retreat. Um, and so you, you, you can pray that Jonathan gets good sleep tonight uh, from, uh, from hosting them this, uh, this morning. Pastor Matt and Ashley are gone, uh, the, and they're away this weekend, and so I'm glad to be with you. But we're thankful that you've chosen to worship with us. Uh, our mission here at Mount Calvary Church is to help lead people in all stages of life to passionately pursue Christ. We want, uh, so whether you're here today and you're just learning who Jesus is, or whether uh, you've been a follower of Jesus for, for years and decades of your life, we're glad that you're here. And if we can help encourage you and challenge you in that, uh, we'd love to uh, come alongside you. I'm going to pray, and then uh, then we'll we'll get started. Heavenly Father, Lord, I thank you for today. Lord, I thank you for the opportunity that that you've given us, that you've uh, you've given us through your Word to learn about you, Lord. That that not, not that we cannot just fill our heads with knowledge, but Lord, that we can fill our hearts with love for you. Lord, you've revealed yourself to us in your word. And Lord, I pray that today your Holy Spirit work and lead and guide, uh, reveal to us uh, truth uh, in our hearts. And Lord, help us to know uh, how you're leading uh, and, and how we can walk in obedience to you. God, we thank you uh, for being, being the Lamb of God. And Lord, I pray that you would move us uh, to see you clearly uh, with passion and with excitement and with love. It's in your name that we pray. Amen. So Pastor Matt's out of town, and so I get to tell you about the time that Pastor Matt tried to kill me. Um, he can't stop me. No, he called it team building, uh, and so I, I, I don't know. It was on the agenda. There were three activities last year. We went away as a staff. Uh, we went to Virginia on a retreat, and three times on, the, on our agenda for the week uh, were uh, team building act- activities. But I think he was trying to kill me. They were two hikes and a zip line. So we, we, some of you think that's the best thing in the world. Go hiking in the, uh, in the Appalachian Mountains, right? In the Shenandoah uh, uh, National Forest in Virginia. Or go zip lining. That's great for you. I'm, there's something wrong. There's wires crossed in your brain. I'm not sure. And so I'm going to pray for you. But for me, that was not something I was super excited about. Matt knew this somehow, some reason. I don't know why he knew this. He took me aside before we left and said, Ray, are you going to be okay? And I said, yeah, I, I'm a man. I, I'm not going to tell you I'm not going to be okay. Right? It's just not what we do. So, uh, so we, you know, so he, we go on the retreat. Uh, it's not my preferred activities, uh, but we go to Mary's Rock in Virginia. So in Shenandoah National, uh, National Park uh, in Virginia. If you go to the website, it says that the hike that we did was about three miles long. And it says it was a moderate difficulty. Right? I think the national park system needs a more nuanced uh, difficulty rating system. Right, There cannot just be three difficulty levels. But they said it was moderate. And I'm like, okay, and I read stories. This isn't so bad. People that, that, that are older, uh, they, they can do this. I can do this. So we go on this hike. It's three miles. Um, I'm alone for most of the time. Uh, BJ loves hiking. And so BJ and Matt, they, they rush ahead. And then they wait for Melissa and Jonathan to catch up. And then they wait for me to catch up. Um, but 
but I'm going, we're, we're going through this, the, this three mile hike up, up to Mary's rock. And I'm, I'm just thinking the whole time I'm listening to music, um, because, because I'm sweating and I, I have to take my hearing aids out. So I can't hear anything anyway. So I'm listening to, to worship music as we're going. And I'm just thinking, God, why do people enjoy this? Right. Why is this good? And, and we're getting, we're getting near the end and, and I'm all alone. All I can see is forest because everybody's ahead of me. And I, I get to the top, right? And so we're, we're walking and, and you don't really know it. I see forest all around and you turn a corner and then I get it. Then I get why people do this. And so I have a, a picture uh, that is going to throw up on the screen. Th- this is evidence, one, that I survived uh, and that I made it to the top. It's also evidence that there are three of the staff members that were there that are crazy enough to crawl up on top of this big boulder uh, that was even more dangerous. So BJ, Matt, and Melissa are up on this really big boulder taking a picture of Jonathan and I who are sane uh, and had our wits about us and refused to climb the rock. Uh, but, but so what happens when you get to the top, right? You've spent, you've spent, uh, you've spent time, you climb, you spend three, uh, three miles uh, to get up there. You do all this effort. When you get to the peak, you get to the summit, do you stop, pat yourself on the back, and then turn around and go? Or do you stay? And so we stayed up. We were, we were at the peak or at the mountain for 45 minutes or an hour uh, just enjoying the view, Right, you had the you you got to the top and you could see you could see the valley below. You could see for miles on end, and it's not something that when you get to the top you say, "Oh, great, I'm done," and you turn around and you go. You stop and you pause and you reflect. And so each we we had some time. Each of us had time just to kind of reflect on the wonder and the beauty of God. That this is all that He created. We we had time to to kind of praise Him for His majesty. We took time, we paused, and we stopped, and we looked. So today, as we look at our passage in, uh, in John chapter 1, verse, um, verse 29 and following, we're going to be told or we're going to be challenged to stop and pay attention and to look, uh, that, that we need to take time to enjoy, take time to, to, to see all the details. So let's read our passage, verse 29 through 34 uh, in John chapter 1. The verse will be on the screen. The next day he saw Jesus, this is John the Baptist, right? So the next day he saw Jesus coming toward him and said, Behold, the Lamb of God who takes away the sins of the world. This is he whom I said, After me comes a man who ranks before me, because he was before me. I myself did not know him, but for this purpose I came baptizing with water, that he might be revealed to Israel. And John bore witness. I saw the Spirit descend from heaven like a dove, and it remained on him. I myself did not know him, but he who sent me to baptize with water said to me, He on whom you see the Spirit descend and remain, this is he he who baptizes with the Holy Spirit. And I have seen and have borne witness that this is the Son of God. We're going to spend the bulk of our time in in the first verse, in verse 29 today. And, And the first thing I want us to see is that we need to stop and pay attention to Jesus. We need to stop and pay attention to Jesus. Uh, Pastor Matt, last week, as, as uh, he started in verse 19, he, ta- he told us that this was the transition point. That in verse 19 of John chapter 1, Jesus is beginning his earthly ministry. This is the first day, the first week, right? So over John chapter 1 and John chapter 2, we're going to see the first week of Jesus' ministry. And so yes, last week, we looked in verse 19, uh, we saw John the Baptist. And the first 18 verses was kind of John, uh, the apostles, 
prologue, right? Who am I talking about? Who am I trying to get you to see? And he tells us that Jesus, right? He says Jesus is the word, that he's the eternal God, that he, he is the create through him everything was created. He says he's the light in the darkness, and he's the, that he is God come to dwell among us. And so that he, he's introduced who Jesus is, and now beginning in verse 19, and then in our passage today in verse 29, it, we begin to see some proper responses uh, to, to Jesus, who Jesus is. What is our response to who Jesus is? And so as um, as, as we look through the scripture, we need to ask ourselves, how do I respond to what I learn and what I see about Jesus? And so today, uh, in verse 29, this is the second day, right? It says the next day. That's a clue. The time's passed, right? Uh, so the next day, uh, this is the second day of his ministry. Jesus is telling us the proper response to Jesus is to stop. It's to pause. He says, behold. Have you ever noticed that familiarity? Yeah. I didn't say that right, but you know what I said. Familiarity uh, breeds kind of, you, you overlook stuff. You miss the details, right? You, you walk by something or you drive by something every single day, and you begin to kind of, you become familiar with it. And it loses its wonder or majesty or, or, or you, you overlook certain details that, that you know are there, right? So if it's uh, our son, I think I've shared this illustration before, but, uh, but it sticks with me. Um, when our son was uh, one or two, uh, Morgan, Morgan drove downtown in Louisville, Kentucky. It's Louisville, right? It's Louisville, uh, not Louisville. Right, I got one. Phil Nelson knows knows how to say it. Um, she would drive downtown to go to work, and our son's daycare was in her office building. And they would drive through a tunnel, and they'd get through the tunnel, and they'd see the river, the Ohio River. Uh, and every day, our son would scream "River!" Right, and it's this idea that for us, it was just the river. Right? It was the river that we drove by dozens of times, uh, hundreds of times, that, that it became so familiar that it lost its wonder and its power and its majesty. Right? Uh, so familiarity can, can cause us to lose the details. We miss uh, the same things on the other side. Right? Uh, if, uh, if you have a scratch on your car or smudges on your wall or, or something, you live with it so long you just don't even see it anymore. Right? Familiarity causes us to miss the details. And so John the Baptist, John the Baptist is telling the people that have come to listen to his message to stop listening to him and to start looking at Jesus. And he doesn't, he doesn't want them to, to not only, he doesn't want them to just glance at Jesus, right? He's talking and there's Jesus. He says, hey, there's Jesus. He doesn't want them to just turn and look and then turn back to him and start listening again. No, he wants, he says, the most important thing you can do right now is not listen to me, the most important thing you can do right now is you can look at Jesus. You can stop and you can behold him. You can see him and be amazed that the eternal God, creator of all things, would leave heaven, the glory and the majesty and the wonder of heaven, the perfection of heaven, and he would come to dwell among us. They would come to walk among you and I. And they were all there. And John's message that he was preaching was one of repentance. And so most of the people that came to listen, they knew that they needed something. They knew that they weren't perfect and that they needed something. And so John was baptizing in repentance that they would, the people were making decisions to make a change in their life. And so here was God who came from the perfection of heaven into the, into the darkness and the dirtiness and the mess of the world to be a light in the darkness. And John wants them to stop looking at him 
and to fully be immersed in beholding Jesus. Right? So as I, when I, whenever I read this passage, the image that comes to my mind is a wedding, right? It, it's, the, it's the moment when the bride first comes into view and everybody stands up and looks at the bride, right? That's the proper response and respect. You stand up, everybody turns, you look at the bride. Everybody's looking at the bride, but the groom, the groom is beholding the bride, Right? The groom sees nothing else. There's no other details. There's nothing else important to the groom in that moment. All he sees is his bride. It's like the first time that he's ever seen her. And he's, he's, it, it, it's amazing. That's the idea that I get when I read this passage. When John the Baptist tells the people that are there to listen to him, he says, Behold, look at, admire, study, enjoy. Right? This is the idea of beholding Jesus. We live in a world where literally everything and everyone is trying to get our attention. If you're a parent this morning, you've probably heard mom or dad about 30 times between the time the kids, your kids woke up and the time you got to church this morning. Right? It's mom, dad, where's my, you know, can I do this or, or I need help with this? Right? Our kids are trying to get our attention, but the world is trying to get our attention. Right, whether it's ads on our phone or push notifications or it's emails that, that need a response right away, right? You probably had about uh, ten uh, different advertising emails in your email inbox today because, hey, you're home. We want to try to sell you something, right? This is why uh, technology companies like Apple have have launch parties so that you can see and behold the newest and the best gadget or phone uh, or device. Where news companies are focused on what's sensational uh, because they need your attention. They're trying to get you to look at them amongst all the other choices that they have. They need to be the loudest, the most, uh, most aggressive to get your attention. Where political debates boil down to who wins a political de- debate boils down to who has the best zinger or one-liner uh, in the debate. Everybody is trying to get us to pay attention to them, to their product or what they're saying. Everybody in the world wants to get our attention. And in all the noise and in the busyness of our lives as we run uh, from sports practice to, uh, to parent-teacher meetings to uh, making dinner to cutting the grass, whatever it is, as we, in all the busyness of life, if we want to passionately pursue Christ, we have to stop. We have to find a way to slow down and to behold Jesus. We can't, it's not something that we can just fit in to our day. Like, oh, I got five minutes. Let me, let me see what I can do. All right, I'm going gonna, I'm gonna, I'm gonna to skim through Scripture real quick. Okay, God, I'm good. No. He wants us to come to Scripture, and he wants us to behold him. He wants us to spend time in prayer, and he wants us to behold him. He wants us to look upon him and dwell with him and admire him and enjoy being in his presence. We have to stop. Amongst all the to-do lists and the pressing deadlines, we have to stop. We have to slow down. And we have to ask God to help us restore the awe and wonder of who Jesus is. Because for some of us, if you've been a follower of Jesus Christ for any length of time, sometimes it becomes too familiar. The wonder of what Jesus is, who Jesus is and what he did becomes too familiar. And we, it's like, oh yeah, I know that. I've heard that. We have to slow down and we have to behold. 
and we have to enjoy. We don't merely glance, but stop and truly see, take in every detail, treasure every moment at looking at him. And this is John the Baptist. This is what he's telling them. He's telling his audience, right? Usually a preacher wants the, you know, the, one of the dangers is the preacher wants you to look at him. The preacher wants you to pay attention to him. But John the Baptist is saying, hey, I am nothing. You need to look at Jesus. You need to pay attention to him. And he tells him immediately why, right? He says, you need to behold Jesus because he's the Lamb of God. He's the Lamb of God. So the second thing, right? May we never grow old of this. That every day, every day we need to worship the Lamb who gave his life for us. We need to worship the lamb who gave his life for us. As you read scripture, you, you should look for words and phrases that kind of stand out for you. And John, uh, John is great because there's lots of phrases and, and, and words that pop out. And he's like, oh, what's this mean? So the lamb of God is a phrase that as you read this uh, passage, it's like Jesus is called the lamb of God. What does that mean? You, ask, you should ask those questions and dwell on them and think through them. Consider other times that you've heard or seen uh, that phrase or that idea in Scripture. And so I want us to look at Lamb of God this morning, right? I want us to th- unpack that a little bit. Lamb, the Lamb of God was... Uh, so if, we, if, we, if you look forward in chapter 2, this is not going to be on your screen. But if you were to look in the first 13 uh, of chapter 2, it says the Passover of the Jews was at hand. And if you were to look further just a little bit uh, in the verse 23 of chapter 2, then it says that he was in Jerusalem at the Passover feast. So the first week or the first, yeah, the first week of Jesus' ministry, the context of it is that the Passover is about to happen in Jerusalem. And so for John the Baptist to say the Lamb of God would have immediately brought to the minds of the Jewish audience the Lamb, the Passover lambs that would be sacrificed. So the next week, as they celebrated the Passover, uh, the people that were present may have come to Jerusalem solely for the purpose that it was the Passover. And they were coming to offer a lamb uh, in remembrance. The Passover was one of the most important of the Jewish holidays. It was a celebration of God freeing Israel from slavery out of Egypt and by rescuing them. And the lamb, the Passover lamb, came from the 10th plague, right? So there were 10 plagues. Moses would go to, uh, go to Pharaoh, communicate that God wanted his people to be set free, and Pharaoh would say no. And so God would send, uh, send a plague upon Egypt to show his power, that he was more powerful and more majestic than Pharaoh and his magicians. And each time Moses would go to Pharaoh and Pharaoh would say, no, God would send a plague. And at several times, uh, Pharaoh would say, okay, yes, you can go. And then he would change his mind. The final one, the final, the 10th plague that God would send would be the, 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 the plague of the firstborn, where the angel of God would go through Egypt and pass judgment and every firstborn child and every firstborn uh, livestock would be killed. For the Israelites, God gave special instructions to Moses. He said each family was to take a lamb, and they were sacrificed the lamb, and they would take the blood of the lamb, and they were to put the blood of the lamb on the doorpost and on the lintel above the door. And so when the angel of the Lord come through Egypt, he would see the blood, and he would pass over. He would pass over that household because the sacrifice had already been made. The penalty had already been paid. 
And this is, this is the image that he is portraying, John the Baptist is giving to his audience when he says, Behold the Lamb of God. He's saying this is, this is the Lamb of God. This is the Lamb, the Passover Lamb, that each of you are going to take to the temple to celebrate Passover. Each of the families would take a lamb to sacrifice. And this is the Lamb of God. The Lamb of God would have communicated, right, if they were going to sacrifice a lamb uh, at the temple, it would have to be perfect. It would have to be without blemish. This was the instructions that God gave to the, Moses and the Israelites back in Egypt, that the lambs would have to be perfect and without blemish, and they'd have to be spotless. And this is the image that he's giving when he says, Behold the Lamb of God. By calling Jesus the Lamb of God, John the Baptist was packing a mountain of meaning into the one title. This is God come from heaven to earth, the King of kings and Lord of lords, by whom, for whom, and through whom everything was created. And he came to be a sacrifice and a substitute. Oftentimes we, we measure, you, you can evaluate somebody's importance Right, or you can you you can evaluate how somebody views themselves by by how low they're willing to go in service to others, right? And here is the God of the universe, the most powerful, uh, the most powerful ever, uh, and He chose to come to be sacrificed as a substitute for us. Hebrews chapter nine twenty two says that there can be no forgiveness of sin without the shedding of blood. And this was the Passover lamb in the Old Testament. And now Jesus was the lamb, the perfect and spotless lamb without blemish, sent to die on the cross that through the shedding of his blood, he could take away the sins of the world. The Jewish leaders were hoping as they were waiting for the Messiah, right? And this is what John the Baptist, John the Baptist came to prepare the way of the Lord. And so the the Jewish leaders came, last week we saw they came to John the Baptist and they asked him, who are you? Are you the one? Are you the prophet? Are you Elijah? And to each one he said no. But they were hoping for, for and expecting a Messiah that would come as a conquering king. They were expecting the lion, right? They were expecting the lion that would come and overthrow them, overthrow Rome, who, was their, who was their, uh, they were in bondage to. And instead, Jesus came as a conquering lamb who would overthrow the bondage of sin that they did not even know that they were enslaved to. It's an enemy that they didn't know that they had, but was more important than the enemy of being being, uh, ruled by Rome. Jesus was the perfect and spotless lamb who was willing to be our sacrifice and able to be our substitute. Romans chapter 6 verse 23 says the wages of sin is death. The idea is that means that every single one of us in this room today earns death because we're sinners. All of us have messed up. God in his perfection demands perfection. And he cannot, be, he, 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 can, he, he cannot allow imperfection into his presence. It says not one of us is without sin. And no matter how hard we try or how much good we do in life, we will all fall short. It isn't enough. All the good that we do isn't enough to wipe away the stain of sin uh, that we have on our lives. And we are deserving of death. And that's true of every man, man and woman in this room and every man and woman that has ever lived except for one, except for Jesus. 
He did not earn death. He chose voluntarily to be our substitute on the cross to pay the debt that we owed. Because he was sinless, he did not earn the wages of death. Here's the thing, right? This is the familiarity. We hear that story, and does it, does it like, do you yawn? Do you yawn? Because it's like, oh, yeah, we've heard Jesus. We know Jesus. Yes, that's good. We need Jesus. Or does it cause joy to well up in your heart to say, yes, this God loved me enough despite my mess, despite who I am, I needed some I needed him. I needed his help. And he loved me enough that he would die for me. Does it it cause us to stand in awe and wonder? Matt Allett, one of our elders, says all the time, we need to preach the gospel to ourselves every day, right? The idea that every day, not only in a moment of salvation, do we, we need to recognize that we need a savior, but every day we need to recognize that we need a savior to walk with us through life. Every day we need to remember and be in awe by the fact that he loved us enough that while we were yet sinners, he died for us. That God took the one that knew no sin to be sin on our behalf. This is the message of salvation. This is the message that John the Baptist is seeing this day when he's telling his audience, he says, behold, the Lamb of God. You know, you can know you can know a lot of things, right? You can you can know every detail about something, all the ins and outs, right? So if you're uh, you can know all the rules to baseball or football in and out and not love it, right? You can know all the ingredients for a recipe and how to make uh, make a great uh, a, a great cake or uh, a great dinner and not love it. We can have head knowledge without it impacting our hearts. And sometimes the, uh, the, familiarity, the familiarity of something uh, can cause us to lose the passionate love that we're supposed to have for it. That we can know something inside and out. We can know all the answers. We can know all the details and not passionately love something. To borrow, the, uh, to, to borrow from a great hymn of faith, when you hear the old, old story, does it cause you to be amazed? Does it remind you of how the magnitude of the truth behind the fact that God loved you enough that he died on the cross for you? Does it cause you to to think about, and does it cause you to love him more as you think and dwell on the fact that this is the perfect lamb of God, spotless, without sin, without, uh, with, uh, without spot on his life. And he would come to this earth to dwell among us for the sole purpose that three years later he was going to die on the cross. Right? He starts his ministry at Passover. He is going to end his ministry at Passover. He knows where he's going. This is not a surprise to him. But he, he loved us enough that he would come to die for us. And does that cause us to love him more? Or is it just the same? Yeah. Does it, does it cause us to passionately pursue him more? Does it, does it cause us to, uh, to, be, to walk in humility more? Does it cause us to, to think and dwell and just be amazed that he chose to love us? That he would choose to offer us salvation despite our mess? Church, may that never grow old. 
As we read scripture, may we, may we continue to be amazed by this truth that he is the Lamb of God, willing and able to be our sacrifice and our substitute upon the cross. That he loves us that much. If you're here today and, and realize that Jesus has, has all been a head knowledge thing for you, that you've been learning new things, but that you aren't passionately pursuing, passionately falling in love with Jesus, and you want to, please find me today. One of the most important questions I was, uh, that I ever asked, or the, the important things that somebody ever asked me was, do you want to know? When I was uh, 17 years old and I was not a believer, I didn't go to church, I didn't know anything about Jesus, and I was standing amongst a group of, of high school students uh, that are in my senior class, and they were talking about Jesus. And I looked at Tim, the young man uh, that was, was sharing, and I said, Tim, I don't understand anything you're talking about. And he said, do you want to? So my question for you today is, do you want to understand? You've been learned, maybe you've been here for a while and you've been learning all about Jesus, but do you want to passionately know him, to have a relationship with him and to experience the fullness of his love and his grace and his mercy? Do you want to know this Jesus? That's why we're here. That's why we do what we do uh, as a church is because we want people to know this Jesus and to experience his love, his grace, and his wonder. So if you've been paying attention, we've gone through one verse uh, out of our six-verse passage, right? So don't tell Matt I just I cheated and I, I only took the short way out. Um, no, the rest of this passage, verses 30 through 34, uh, is John the Baptist telling us that he believes and is confident that this Jesus, the Lamb of God, is the Son of God. That this is God. This is the promised one. This is the one uh, that John has been told. So these last four, five verses are why John the Baptist has been declaring, he's declaring why he believes Jesus is the Lamb of God. In verse 30 and 31, he believes that he knows, uh, he, he believes because he knows that he is not the Messiah, right? He says, after me comes one that is, is higher than me, that ranks before me. Um, he says that, uh, that he was just preparing the way. In verse 32 and 33, he says, uh, he, he's saying, I did not know him. Now we know that John the Baptist was Jesus's cousin, right? That Mary and Elizabeth, uh, Elizabeth, John the Baptist, um, mom knew each other. And so he would have known Jesus. But the indication here is that John the Baptist didn't know that Jesus was the Messiah. He didn't know that Jesus was the Messiah until the moment that he baptized him, uh, which is not recorded in the Gospel of John. The moment that he baptized him, the Spirit came down like a dove and rested and remained on Jesus. And this is how God revealed to John the Baptist that this is the Messiah, that this is the promised one, that this is the one who will take away the sins of the world. And John's whole purpose, his whole purpose in life His whole purpose in being born and in his ministry out in the desert and eating locusts and wearing camel there was that he could testify in verse 34 that he is born witness that this is the Son of God. That Jesus is God come to earth to dwell among us, that he is Emmanuel, that he is God with us and he is the Lamb of God, that he has come to sacrifice himself and substitute for us. John the Baptist is confident of the message of who Jesus is, that Jesus is not just a man, but that Jesus is God. And because Jesus is God, he is able and willing to forgive our sins. Today, the message really is, Jesus has come to offer you forgiveness. 
If you're a believer today, may that help you stand in awe of him and be amazed that he would offer you forgiveness at all. And if you don't know him, we want to invite you into that amazement that that God loved you enough that despite your mess, despite the problems in your life and where you failed, God loved you enough that he would die on the cross for you, that you might have life and life eternal. Let's pray. Heavenly Father, God, I thank you. I thank you that you loved us enough that you would come to die for us. Lord, they thought, Israel thought that they needed, uh, needed the lion. Lord, we know that you will return one day and you will be the lion that is promised uh, in Revelation. Lord, what they needed was the lamb. Lord, what we need more than anything else is the lamb. Lord, may we be reminded and be moved. Lord, may, we, we, may our love for you increase in abounding ways as we reflect on the fact that you loved us. And the fact that you loved us, may that never grow old in our hearts. Lord, may that, may that be a source of strength and encouragement as we face trials, as we face temptations, as we face difficult uh, situations in our lives. May that, the fact And the truth that you loved us enough that you would die for us. That you would leave the perfection of heaven to walk in the darkness of this earth. Lord, to show us the way of salvation. Lord, I pray that you draw men to you. Lord, that you would be exalted in all things. God, we thank you for your love and your grace. It's in your name.